deadline day. Since Bonnie Henry's announcement, our vaccination rate has markedly improved. Vaccine rules set to start in long-term care. What happens to those who still don't have their shot? Travel uncertainty. It's going to be an absolute gong show on travelers coming to the U.S. New details about which COVID shots make the cut. But what about those with mixed doses? And shipping failure. I had a bubble wrap, then I had a a stick format that I wrap it in. A pricey piece of art arrives in pieces. How Canada Post responded. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. The latest big change for BC's long-term care homes is about to take effect. As of tomorrow, all staff and visitors to long-term homes will have to be fully vaccinated. As Kamal Karamali reports, the new rules are being met with mixed emotions. I'll miss you a lot, yeah. This is the last time Marcy McDonald is going to see her mother for some time. McDonald only has a single dose of the COVID-19 vaccine, which means she won't be able to step foot into her mom's care home after today, not until she is fully vaccinated. I don't know when I'll be back, maybe December, not quite sure. Starting Tuesday, visitors to long-term care homes across B.C. will have to show proof of vaccination to enter, dividing some families. I miss you. You know, it'll be a while before I come back, right? While pushing others to get vaccinated or get out. It's the only reason I'm getting it, because I got to see my mom. The process at the door will be much of the same. Questions, a temperature check, and now a mandatory scan of the vaccine card before you walk in. Some care homes like Menno Place are bracing for some pushback. We actually talked about everything, including getting security and just for safety for our staff. But it's not just visitors. Staff will also have to be fully vaccinated to continue working at care homes. The mandate already resulting in a higher number of workers getting inoculated. At the beginning of September, we had 68 staff who were unvaccinated. We're now down to nine staff unvaccinated. My motivation to take it was uh, with the job as well as my personal safety. In fact, a study conducted by the Office of the Seniors Advocate found 76% of care home outbreaks were traced back to the first case being a staff member. Compare that to only 0.2% of first cases being a visitor. Here at the Evergreen Hamlets in Surrey, staff say they're looking forward to a future with fewer COVID-19 cases. I think it would change everyone's peace of mind, just knowing that everyone is safe and we don't have to worry. That's a huge thing we don't have to worry about. And while they may lose some workers and visitors, the hope is in the end, it'll help save more lives. Kamal Karamali, Global News. A Victoria mother is pleading with parents to sign up their kids for their COVID shots. This after losing her daughter to a rare virus. It comes as pre-registration opens in B.C. for children aged 5 to 11 to be vaccinated. Kylie Stanton has the mother's heart-wrenching story. Clara was born perfectly healthy. Today would have been her eighth birthday. But Clara Ablaza's life was cut short at just 12 days old after contracting enterovirus. I stood up, rocked her, and a few seconds later she died in my arms. Whitney Ablaza didn't know her daughter's official cause of death until three months later. But even if doctors were able to treat her, 
there was no vaccine available. It's literally a few clicks. Now, with children aged 5 to 11 eligible to register for their COVID-19 shot, she's sharing her story, hoping it will help parents struggling with the decision. No amount of fear about a vaccine will ever hold a candle to the the reality of having to live every single day without your child. Ablaza registered two of her three children now eligible. It's just a relief. And she's not alone. The word is getting out. I have my eligible son already registered. I really don't like shots, but if it means like I'm going to be safe, then yeah, I'm good with it. Yes, yeah, same. The provincial government is expected to provide more details on the rollout in the coming weeks. And this time around, family doctors say they can play a part. We need to make it easier for kids. We need to make it easier for that last 10%. Wolak says family doctors can help address everything from vaccine hesitancy to needle phobia. And having doses available on site will only help to increase the province's vaccination rate. It's a strike while the iron is hot sort of thing. To use it as an opportunistic vaccination if they're there for something completely different. And I'd have the conversation, by the way, have you gotten your COVID shot? Hang on, let me go grab a shot. Perfect little muffin. In Clara's case, while her mother didn't have a choice to vaccinate, that's never stopped the what ifs. If there had been... And I had opted not to get it for her, out of fear. And then she died? No. I, I, my surviving kids would have no mom. It's the kind of pain she hopes no parent will ever have to face, especially if they don't have to. It's based on science, and we got to trust it. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. All right, Keith Baldry joins us from Victoria with more. Uh, We will get a briefing tomorrow, Keith. Not sure what they'll talk about, but we do know uh, we will hear um, tomorrow about the case number for Mm -hmm. three. Is it three or four days now? A holiday long weekend, regardless. Yeah, it's four days. So when our at a time when our uh, healthcare indicators for COVID, hospitalizations, daily case numbers, ICUs and deaths are at very high levels, you put them all together for four days, we're going to see some pretty high numbers tomorrow. Here's based on the seven-day rolling average of those various categories. Uh, expect more than 2,500 cases over the four days. Probably more than 150 hospitalizations. We've been averaging 40 a day for the last couple of weeks and probably more than 15 deaths. I'm sure hope I'm wrong about that, but we've been averaging four to five people a day dying from COVID-19 for some time now. So again, you put it all together for four days and there's going to be some troublingly high numbers. Hopefully we're going to start seeing these cases decline as we're seeing in the United States. They now are reporting that their wave has crested and is starting to drop. So hopefully we see that Mm -hmm. in BC as well. The briefing tomorrow is at noon. Not sure we're going to have all the numbers of, of those categories that I just posted. Uh, And again, we should just uh, point out that those are projections based on the seven-day rolling average. It's not actually what we've had yet. We'll find that out tomorrow afternoon. All right. The situation, as we know, has been bad in the north. Uh, We'll find out hopefully a little bit more about that tomorrow, too. Yeah, we're going to find more about the North in tomorrow's briefing from Dr. Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dix. Again, they're averaging 119 cases a day, about 75 hospitalizations a week, which is far more than any other health authority except for Fraser. And again, back to Camille's story off the top, the long-term care workers in the Northern Health Authority have the lowest uh, full vaccination rate of any health authority. They're just 79 percent. Long-term care workers in other health authorities, with the exception of the interior, well into the 90 percentile. 
So very good numbers for long-term care workers in other places, not so much in the north. Another troubling statistic coming out of the north. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right, Keith, we'll definitely be talking to you about this tomorrow. Keith Baldry in Victoria. A labor shortage has forced the closure of two Life Labs locations on Vancouver Island. Life Labs says it has been facing staffing challenges over the last several months because of the pandemic. The company says it is temporarily shutting down locations in Oak Bay and the West Shore and moving the existing staff to other facilities. Any patients at those clinics will be contacted and directed to alternate locations. Life Labs says it plans to reopen those facilities, hopefully in the new year. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control is hinting at their new COVID vaccination regulations for international travelers, and they would appear to be good news for Canadians. But as Aaron MacArthur reports, one immigration lawyer says the new rules will actually mean more restrictions for Canadians, not less. By the time U.S. Thanksgiving rolls around, our southern neighbour will be reopening to foreign travelers. People flying to the U.S. will need to prove they're fully vaccinated. Over the weekend, U.S. airlines were given the heads up that will include anyone who has had a vaccine approved for use by either the Food and Drug Administration or the World Health Organization. It's going to be an absolute gong show on travelers coming to the U.S. unless the CDC issues more kind of uh, detailed. Currently, Canadians have no vaccine-based restrictions to fly to the U.S. The only thing required is a negative COVID test 72 hours prior to boarding. The CDC promised more information on which vaccines will qualify early in November. But Len Saunders, who works in Blaine, worries U.S. regulations might make it harder for people to fly south. I think because there's a lack of awareness in the U.S. government how Canadians have these double vaccinations, I think that's going to come back to bite many Canadians. Last week, health officers from across the country were lobbying their American counterparts on the value of the mixed schedule given to about 1.5 million Canadians. Data from B.C. and Quebec has been sent to the CDC, which shows the robust immune response. But until the details are finalized, people who mixed and matched might be forced to stay at home. If I was a snowbirder up in Canada right now, I would probably be getting on a plane coming south because once these new rules come into effect, I don't think there's going to be a lot of wiggle room. The vaccine rules will matter much less for Canadian travellers once the land border is reopened. But so far, there's no indication from the White House the October 21st deadline will be extended. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A BC MLA is sending a message to a group of hecklers who tried to ruin his Thanksgiving celebrations. Peace River South MLA Mike Bernier posted on social media saying several people showed up at his home and started harassing his family during Thanksgiving dinner. Bernier says they went on to have a great time and he adds he feels badly for them, the hecklers that is, because they felt this was the best way to spend their time. Just last week, Bernier shared with us that he's been receiving death threats for encouraging people to get vaccinated in northern B.C. A collision this afternoon partially closed one of B.C.'s main highways, a crash that could be related to wildlife. 
An air ambulance heads for the scene of a crash that temporarily closed the Coquihalla just south of Merritt. The highway has since been reopened to traffic in both directions, but there are still delays. No official word on the cause of the crash or injuries, but Drive BC is calling it a wildlife issue and is urging motorists to watch for wildlife on all highways, saying it can be much, much bigger than most think. A man in his 30s was killed in a horrific single vehicle crash near UBC last night. Just after 9 p.m., an Acura MDX went off the road and slammed into a tree, killing the driver. Vancouver police say excessive speed was a factor, but investigators are still looking at other possible contributing factors. Before the crash, the VPD say they received multiple calls alleging the same vehicle was being driven erratically throughout the city. To give you an idea of how uh, how um, impactful this collision was, the engine block uh, uh, dislodged from the front of the vehicle and traveled uh, a number of feet into the uh, the yard um, behind me. I've only been here for about three months, and I've heard at least like four to six accidents. It's always around here or just slightly coming around this corner here. Especially at night, people speed here a lot. I see it constantly, like when I'm driving, sometimes I notice people are going 70, 80, and I'm like only going 50 to 60. I'm like, wow, this is, people are going really, really fast here. And RCMP are investigating a fatal crash in BC's central interior. It happened Sunday on Highway 27 near Blue Mountain Road between Vanderhoof and Fort St. James. Police say a 37-year-old man was killed in the single vehicle crash. Vanderhoof RCMP say nothing has been ruled out as a possible cause in the early stages of the investigation. Surrey RCMP are asking for witnesses to come forward in a possible attempted abduction case. It happened in the area of Edinburgh Drive and 132nd Street just before midnight Sunday. Police say a woman was grabbed from behind by a man who tried to drag her off a path. The woman screamed for help and other people came rushing in, chasing the suspect away. The woman wasn't injured, but she was emotionally shaken up. The suspect is described as a fair-skinned man, about 5 feet 10 inches tall, with a slim build and wearing all-black clothing. Anyone who helped the victim or witnessed the incident is asked to call Surrey RCMP. An app aimed at making it easier to find people who are lost is drawing criticism. It's called What Three Words, and it's already being used by RCMP in North Vancouver, who give it glowing reviews. Why search and rescue groups give it a big thumbs down, next on the News Hour. I guess they call it being a long hauler. He still has some issues that he's working through with that. COVID takes a toll on Canuck Brandon Sutter. That's still to come tonight on the News Hour. Plus, vaccines required. Canada's largest transplant centre makes it official and faces some backlash later. Right now, though, North Shore Rescue is again making it clear it does not support a rescue app being promoted by North Vancouver RCMP. As Grace Key reports, if you find yourself lost or injured in the backcountry, rescue teams say your best option is much more simple. What three words has divided the world into 10-foot squares? Each square has an address made of three random words. What Three Words is an app you can download on your phone. The UK-based company says everyone from recreationists to e-commerce and emergency services can benefit from the geocode system. In emergency services and frontline policing, it's about time. It's about being efficient and being quick. North Vancouver RCMP and emergency dispatchers are even in their promotional video. We certainly got there a lot faster because of this app. Yeah, but the volunteers who actually 
do search and rescue have a very different opinion about the app. We have nothing against any of the georeferencing apps that are available. But I think what's really important is that people need to recognize that their number one priority when they're injured or lost in the backcountry is to call 911. It's the 911 system that activates the volunteer search and rescue teams in our province. North Shore Rescue also does not support the use of the app. And a Coquitlam SAR manager wrote, It's Thanksgiving and I'm not even on SAR duty and W3W is ruining my day. Every time they post some dumb article, it wastes hours of my and my colleagues' time as we stamp out misinformation for the rest of the day. Our system's amazing, actually. It's evolving each time. We have uh, uh, been involved, and many of the SAR teams, in fact, in, in the province have been involved in the design, development, and testing of these systems. It does save us a step of having to translate uh, coordinates and put them into our software. We're literally able to send people a text message, and once they open that text message, we can see them on our maps, and we know exactly where they are and how we're going to go get them. Jody Cohen, a 911 dispatcher for North Vancouver RCMP, was instrumental in bringing the system to the detachment with approval from Ottawa. She says it's just one tool in the tool chest and it's not meant to replace any of the other available options. Grace Key, Global News. A helicopter crew was needed to help rescue an injured rock climber in the South Okanagan this weekend. Penticton Search and Rescue was called in Sunday afternoon to Skaha Bluffs to assist BC Ambulance paramedics and the local fire department to get a young woman to safety. According to Search and Rescue, she ran into trouble while climbing and ended up fracturing her leg. Because of the nature of her injuries and where she was, it was determined the best way to evacuate her from the area was by air. Coming up, a BC artist's fragile shipment shattered. So they asked me if I wanted insurance. I said yes. The delivery disaster and why the insurance he paid for wouldn't cover the loss. And later, the antiviral pill that could prove to be a game changer in the fight against COVID-19. Well, if you're planning to ship any fragile Christmas gifts through Canada Post, you'd better read the fine print. A BC artist is sharing his story tonight after one of his pieces arrived at its destination in pieces. Consumer Matters reporter Andrea is here with more on that. And Thanks, Sophie. Brett Robinson shipped a piece of artwork valued at $3,000. He thought he had done everything right, packing the piece carefully and buying insurance. But when he made a claim for the damaged artwork, he was shocked by Canada Post's response. Brett Robinson grew up in Kitimat, B.C., surrounded by a family of artists. After closely watching his relatives, he's now following his passion, doing what he loves. It's a pretty big escape, yeah, and different issues in my life. Like, if I need to get away, you know, I could just draw. Back in May, the Heisla artist says he was commissioned to create this impressive sandblast carving, valued at $3,000 for a customer in Ontario. It was the furthest I've ever sent a piece so far. Once completed, Brett says, he took great care packaging the artwork. I had a bubble wrap, then I had uh, this thick foam mat that I wrap it in. Then I have it in a cardboard box and I had it wrapped in a blanket and then I duct taped, a, duct taped it around in a garbage bag. He headed to the Canada Post counter where Brett says he was asked if the item was fragile. I explained to them it was a fragile glass piece of artwork. So they asked me if I wanted insurance. I said yes. 
Brett says he paid close to $60 for the extra insurance, assuming it would cover any damage. At no time, Brett says, did the Canada Post employee inform him what the insurance would and would not cover. They never went into any, any details about it. He thought he was fully insured, but soon Brett received shocking news. His beautiful piece of art arrived at his client's door in pieces. I was really disappointed and I was very surprised because it, the glass is pretty thick. He contacted Canada Post assuming his insurance would cover the loss. Instead, he says he was given the runaround. And I'd be making phone calls, I'd be sending emails, and I'd be getting next to no response. It was later determined Brett's art piece would not be covered. Canada Post stating in its terms and conditions, Canada Post shall have no liability for damage of shipments containing fragile items. They never told me that it doesn't that their insurance doesn't cover glass when consumer matters reached out on brett's behalf we were told when an item arrives at the post office we have no way of inspecting the contents and how they were packaged by the sender items that are inherently fragile are not insurable against damage it appears that the customer was unaware of this and we will therefore refund the cost of the insurance as a gesture of goodwill that gesture of goodwill only covering the postage charges and a refund for the cost of the insurance paid. Brett was out hundreds of dollars, now having to create a second piece out of his own pocket. I will not ship with Canada Post again. A lesson learned, Brett says, now sharing his experience, hoping consumers think twice when shipping precious cargo. Now, we reached out to Canada Post to see if an investigation was launched looking into why the art piece was damaged in the first place. How did this happen? Canada Post did not answer our questions. However, we were told Canada Post provides detailed packaging tips on its website. It's also recommended you take a look at its general terms and conditions when it comes to liability coverage. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thanks for that, Anne. On this International Day of the Girl, growing fears for those in Afghanistan. They're all trapped at home. They have no access to access to no uh, education or any sports center. Putting the spotlight on the plight of females under the Taliban. Also ahead, no vaccine, no surgery. The new policy in place at Canada's largest transplant center. Today is International Day of the Girl, and local activist groups are speaking up about an ongoing crisis in Afghanistan which is preventing young girls from getting a basic education. Global's Krista Dow spoke with Afghan women in Canada who are calling on the federal government and Canadians to keep these girls' voices alive and spark change. All these girls wanted to, was to have a normal life, to play sport, have an education, have a career, have a normal life. They are memories of a time pre-Taliban rule. Afghan girls mastering the martial art of judo. But now, those freedoms, sports, education and opportunity, all snatched away. Their identities are concealed to protect them from Taliban retaliation. The Taliban has announced that they ban girls' education and they ban girls' education above grade 6 and all secondary schools and universities are closed. For the millions of girls who no longer have access to learning, the stories are defeating. My little cousin is 12 years old and she was just so excited for her school year. She said, you know, I want to work for the UN one day and bring peace to our country. 
So as soon as that news came out, she's just been crying and she's been, you know, in her room. One of my niece, who is a preteen girl, she's no longer able to go to school and she's trapped inside the house. She asked me, Aunt Freiba, is the Taliban going to kill us? On this International Day of the Girl Child, Afghanistan's first female Olympian joins a chorus of global voices calling for immediate action from the federal government and the international community to secure a future for Afghan girls and their education. We need awareness raised on this. As married as they are to their ideology, the Taliban are yet sensitive to world opinion. I am particularly alarmed to see promises made to Afghan women and girls by the Taliban being broken. Broken promises lead to broken dreams. The silent voices of Afghan girls now needing to be amplified more than ever. Krista Dow, Global News. Well, Professor David Card thought an early morning call was a prank from a childhood friend. It turns out it was the Nobel Prize Committee with some good news for the Canadian-born economist. Card, who teaches at UC Berkeley in California, was awarded the Nobel for a paper he wrote 30 years ago proving conventional wisdom that raising minimum wage resulted in fewer jobs was wrong. In fact, the opposite turned out to be true, with higher wages resulting in a larger workforce, although there was a trade-off. You know, fundamentally, if minimum wages go up, even if there's no employment effect, it's still the case that employers have lower profits. And so employers may say, well, we need our profits. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there's fundamental trade off between workers wages and employers profits. Card will split the $1.1 million prize with two other economists, and he has received a time-honored tradition from Berkeley, a highly sought-after parking spot on campus. Card, however, bikes to work. In Health Matters tonight, it's another potential game-changer in the fight against COVID-19. American drug maker Merck has applied for emergency U.S. authorization of its experimental antiviral pill. Merck reported earlier this month that in clinical trials, the pill cut hospitalizations and deaths by half among patients with early symptoms of COVID-19. Canada's largest transplant centre is making it official. If you are not vaccinated against COVID-19, you will not qualify for a life-saving organ. As Morgan Campbell reports, University Health Network wants to save scarce organs for the patients with a greater chance of a positive outcome. I won't live without a transplant. Darlene Van Wick is suffering from non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and is one of about 1,600 people in Ontario waiting for a life-saving organ. Canada's largest transplant hospital has implemented a policy requiring patients to be fully vaccinated against COVID-19 before they can be eligible for a transplant. According to a statement released by the Ajmara Transplant Center at the University Health Network, the team says the policy is needed since transplant recipients have high health care needs post-transplant. Unvaccinated recipients would also pose a greater risk of spreading illness to other immunocompromised patients they may have contact with in inpatient or ambulatory care settings. 
The move in Ontario has led to backlash online, prompting some to revoke their donor status, calling the policy discriminatory. Similar policies are in place south of the border. Vaccination requirements work, and there's nothing new about them. Last week, a Colorado woman waiting for a kidney transplant was bumped from an organ transplant wait list for not getting vaccinated. I'm being coerced into making a decision that is one I'm not comfortable making right now in order to live. But UHN isn't wavering in its decision as transplant programs already follow strict criteria. For example, if someone needs a lung transplant, they cannot smoke. If they need a liver, they cannot drink. It is a small price to pay for someone like Van Wick. You have a good day, you're feeling better, you think, okay, everything's going to work out. And then you have days where you're planning your funeral and you're thinking, you know, you may not get that transplant time. UHN says exceptions to the policy may apply for those with medical reasons or in cases of an urgent need for a transplant. Morgan Campbell, Global News, Toronto. Well, the turkeys were on the run in Vancouver this morning. More on this year's turkey trot coming up. Plus, it's like tears, you know, it's like the dream that you always want. The return of the Boston Marathon after a pandemic cancellation and delay. And up next, an Alberta farmer on the road to recovery and how a community is coming to his aid. An Alberta community is coming together to help one of their own. He was run down near his farm as thieves were stealing his truck. Now neighbours are banding together at a time when it's needed the most. Carolyn Curry to Castillo reports. Walking is still painful for Dean Dahl, but he considers himself lucky to even be on his feet. He spent over two weeks in hospital after being hit by a truck. I was finishing up some uh, swathing and seeing a vehicle slow down and another person jump out. Dean was working on his farm near Spruce View on September 18th when he says he saw a man steal his truck that was parked on the side of the road. I was uh, quite furious and it went flying over there. This bonehead just cranked his truck over and took me, bang. I flew through the air some 30 to 40 feet in the ditch. Dean was seriously injured and he says he attempted to crawl from the ditch when fortunately a neighbor spotted him. He was flown by stars to Calgary. While recovering from broken bones and a concussion, his thoughts turned to his farm. How am I going to get my crop off? I mean, how am I going to combine it? Because I can't even walk. A week later, an amazing sight on Dean's canola field. Ten combines and an army of over 60 neighbors harvesting his entire 200 acres. I think it's just something you do. It's the right thing to do. You help somebody out when they're in a bind and you just do it. It's heartwarming. It's it's nice to see everybody come together. Dean is a really good community member. Dean watched the harvest happen from a laptop in his hospital bed. And there's just people laughing and having a ball. I mean, it was just so wonderful to see a, a community come together. It, it just nothing, nothing mattered anymore. Dean's stolen truck was recovered a short distance from where it was taken. RCMP believe there were several people involved. No arrests have been made. Dean believes his story shows there's far more good in his community than bad. And there was just no time we had every, everything was hauled and off to the elevators and sold. And I can't, can't believe it. It just is, well, I can't believe it because I've been here for all my life and this, this kind of stuff happens out here. He's grateful for his neighbors and his recovery, and he hopes the people who did this to him get the help they need, too. 
Carolyn Curry de Castillo, Global News. A Thanksgiving tradition has made a comeback on the streets of Vancouver. Two, one, go! The return of the turkey trot. The 10K runs starting on Granville Island this morning, going up and over the Burrard Bridge, along the seawall, and back to Granville Island. The turkey trot is usually held every Thanksgiving Monday, but was virtual last year due to the pandemic. This year, runners were required to show their vaccine card and wear masks at certain points of the race. It's about uh, having a race finally after so many years, yeah. too. It feels good. We tried to make this a uh, tradition, but COVID kind of got in the way of last year, so we just continued on with it. I think taking it easy the rest of the day. I think uh, maybe a beer and that'll be it. Yeah, yeah. And now they can eat turkey. All right, let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon with a look at that weather forecast. You sure did well for uh, Thanksgiving Monday, Christy. Yes, we finished off the weekend with a beauty, that's for sure, Sophie. Hey, I want to remind you, this was uh, 1962, a photo sent to us today from Jan Donaldson. Yes, 59 years ago today, uh, Typhoon Frida hit the south coast. 4,000 trees across the lower mainland came down, and it, the uh, at YVR there now still holds the record at 126 kilometer an hour winds. So yeah, quite the storm indeed. Thank you to Jan for sharing that with us. And this was the scene this morning in Dunster. I had to look that up. Dunster is just near McBride, which is close to the BC Alberta border. Thank you to Irwin's daughter for sending us this. Yeah, this little guy doesn't look too happy with that much snowfall. Looks like a couple of uh, inches, that's for sure. So thanks so much for sharing that with us. It was a cold one last night and it will be again tonight. So we've got quite a system that's driving onto the coast. Those of you across Vancouver Island will see rainfall tomorrow morning. Metro Vancouver dry but cold with a low of about three or four degrees. You can expect the possibility of frost and potentially snow for inland regions. We're certainly expecting late in the day some snow for the mountain passes so that's towards the evening hours but lower elevations should just be looking at rainfall and that includes Metro Vancouver. So a wet commute home from work tomorrow. Make sure you bring your rain jacket just in case everything clears out by late Wednesday morning but we do have a wind warning and that's for the north coast region so gusts up to 110 kilometers an hour overnight so potential for power outages there. A Along with the heavy rain, increasing cloud across these areas. Again, your moisture will push in in the evening tomorrow, and that means snow for the mountain passes. Metro Vancouver dry in the morning, but it will be wet in the afternoon with a high of only 10 or 11 degrees. Still a few showers in the morning on Wednesday, but that should clear out by the afternoon, leaving us with some sunshine, Sophie. And tonight's Central Windows weather window is from Campbell River. I love this shot because whether you're spending Thanksgiving alone or with lots of friends and family, we wish you all a happy Thanksgiving. And uh, thank you very much to Deb for sharing that shot. Some beautiful pictures. All right, thanks, Christy. The winners of the 125th Boston Marathon crossed the finish line on Boylston Street this morning. Both winners are from Kenya this year. Benson Capruto crossed the line in two hours and almost 10 minutes. And Diana Kipyoji finished in two hours, 24 minutes to take the crown on the women's side pandemic forced last year's race to be cancelled, this year's to be delayed to the fall instead of the spring, but they got it done and guess who else was there? That's Marsha Gabriel. Wow. She is the producer of the news hour. This is why she's not at work today. I wonder where she was. She's in Boston. Well, I see that now. <laughs> and she uh, she finished her Boston marathon. Boy, that was a, a 
an ordeal to get there because of the pandemic and that's her husband. And you get a, a, I know you that too. You get a husband at the end of it too. You get a husband and a medal. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And a space blanket. You got a space blanket? Yeah. Can you all take sorts it home? Of things. The or do you have to give it back? The space blanket. Or do you have to give any of them back? I think you can take all of them home. Oh, that's wonderful. I mean, you might want to leave the husband behind, but. <laughs> he may not fit in the luggage, but you never know. <laughs> all right, what do you have? All right, so uh, Canuck season starts on Wednesday. Wednesday it starts. I think there's an excitement in our group. Well, there usually is this time of year. Uh, We'll take a look at some of the final moves before the season begins and updates on players not here. Also ahead, arguably Earth's most famous space captain waiting for his chance to really fly to the stars. That's next. All right, time to uh, check in with Squire now for sports. I got confused there for Were a you second. surprised there? A little bit. Okay. I forget I'm, how the show goes. Uh, it's T-minus 48 hours until the Canucks open up the regular season in Edmonton, a team they've actually played a lot of the uh, last week. At practice today, there were still some things left to decide. Uh, one of the big ones was whether to sign Alex Chase on, who's still in town in the trial. We're waiting for that. And uh, he is someone who looks to have done enough to get on this roster. Travis Green doesn't have everybody he thought he would have with the regular season starting on Wednesday. The absent Travis Hamanick certainly is missed by Green. Of course, he is out with personal issues. He was put on waivers by the Canucks, not taken by anyone, which isn't a surprise. He is expected to eventually show up in Abbotsford at some point. He's a top four defenseman, and, you know, we're going to miss him. But having said that, Kyle Burroughs had a real good training camp. Um, you know, Jack Rathbone had a real good camp and, you know, they, they're here. They're going to get their opportunity and we'll see where it goes. We still don't know when Brock Besser will be in the picture again. He's been out for over a week with an unknown injury. Brock's day to day and we'll find out uh, more here this next couple days as to if he's going to be able to start the season out or not. One player who definitely won't start the season is center Brandon Sutter, who is dealing with the lingering effects of the COVID he had earlier this year. I guess they call it being a long hauler. He still has some issues that he's working through with that. And you know, once he's healthy enough and he's feeling better, then he'll start working out and get back out on the ice. The Canucks still don't know what they will do with forward Alex Chason. He has yet to be signed, and signing him will take some salary cap gymnastics. But the other players on the Canucks would love to see him stay. Does so many little things that probably people watching wouldn't even see. And, uh, you know, he's, a, he's played on some top power play units and he understands what to do to have success. And, you know, right now we, you know, it's been nice having him on there and uh, he's a big part of our power play. In hockey, October is a time for optimism for most teams and it is high amongst the Canucks. They feel the off-season moves and another year of experience for the younger players will make a huge difference this season. I like our team going into the season. I think, you know, we've addressed some needs that, you know, in, in depth up front and, and, you know, bringing OEL in on the back end, a guy that can play big minutes for us. I feel like we're a little younger now too, and it's, you know, it's exciting guys that are three, four, five years in, we're looking to you know, really establish themselves as you know, good players, and that's going to make for even more competition within the team. And I think we're going to try to, you know, we want to establish a winning environment around here. And um, once that happens, it's contagious, and it's a lot more fun that way. 
So yesterday, the Canucks finally admitted defeat on Oleo Levy, opening up the wormhole to Miami, which Vancouver has used so often for trades over the years. They've sent a lot of players to the Panthers and the other way as well. Uh, they'll get Noah Juleson, a local defenseman, in this trade. Yuho Lamikio is also coming back from Florida. This trade ended a rather disappointing run for Yolevi as a Canuck. When Ole Yolevi was drafted by the Canucks, fans had gathered at Rogers Arena, and this was their reaction. Most of them were hoping for Matthew Kachuk to be selected by the Canucks. It's like the fans knew something was wrong with the Yolevi pick. You know, sometimes through through injury, through you know, players, you know, maybe don't develop like we expect them to develop or, you know, they can't find their niche in our group. And, you know, I think it happens, you know, all the time with teams throughout the league. Seattle Kraken are off to a bad start and they haven't even played a regular season game yet. Five of their players have been put in COVID protocol. One of them is former Canucks first rounder Jared McCann. The Kraken said at the start of training camp that all their players are vaccinated their first game is tomorrow night in Vegas. A couple of CFL games today. McLeod Bethel Thompson in Toronto in Hamilton. It looked like the Ticats were going to win this one. Jalon Acklin from 45 yards away. It was 28 in the fourth quarter for Hamilton. But 19 fourth quarter points for Toronto. And Bethel Thompson got the Argos to within field goal range in the final seconds. And it was Boris Beatty. Now that's a good name. For the win. And he does win it. Down in Hamilton, the Argos take it by one point. Earlier, it was uh, Montreal defeating Ottawa by the score of 20-16. to 16. All right, baseball playoffs this afternoon. Jock Peterson. The only scoring of this game between the Braves and the Brewers is right here. Three-run homer. So Atlanta leads the series now two games to one. And apparently John Gruden is out as head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. That's just coming in. There you go. All right. Thanks, uh, Squire. Up next, William Shatner set to boldly go where he has not gone before. Captain James T. Kirk, the original, is preparing to blast off into space. William Shatner, who starred as the swashbuckling starship commander more than 50 years ago, is now preparing for his first real foray into space. This morning, William Shatner and the rest of his New Shepard crew are waiting one more day to reach their final frontier. High winds in West Texas have delayed the launch of the Jeff Bezos Blue Origin spaceship, originally scheduled for tomorrow, now slipping to Wednesday. But that hasn't dimmed the crew's excitement. Over the weekend, Shatner arriving at the astronaut village in West Texas. As one of the most storied commanders in the galaxy, it seems hard to believe that Captain James T. Kirk has actually never left planet Earth. Gentlemen, be me aboard. On Wednesday, that changes. Max Q is confirmed. As he joins three other crew members for a quick trip to zero G. We talked to Shatner and his fellow space travelers earlier this morning. 75 mile per hour winds that are coming through West Texas. Uh, how does that make you feel about a rocket ride uh, to the edge of space? I don't want to be uh, on, a, on a rocket, uh, on top of a rocket in 75 mile an hour winds, and neither does anybody else. So we have, they have uh, canceled the flight. It was supposed to go up tomorrow morning. It's now uh, scheduled to go up on Wednesday morning, and uh, we've got our fingers crossed. The thing I really want to do is come back down. 
It was 55 years ago that Captain Kirk first appeared on America's TV screens. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Beaming across the galaxy. Energizing. Command engine start. Two, one. Now at 90, Shatner will become the oldest person ever to fly to space on what will be Blue Origin's second launch with crew members, alongside Blue Origin executive Audrey Powers and two other paying customers. As for applying his vast experience as captain of the Enterprise... Warp drive, Mr. Scott. Shatner says not so much. Do you think there was a connection subconsciously with, you know, playing the role of Captain Kirk and, I don't know, getting you to this point? You know, I, I, I'm so sorry to disappoint you. No connection? But all that was fiction. <laughs> Unlike the Enterprise's five-year mission, this trip will last just 11 minutes with three minutes of weightlessness, but poignant nonetheless. I'm going to see the, the vastness of space and the extraordinary miracle of our Earth and how fragile it is. Well, today was the perfect day to go Halloween pumpkin hunting in the Fraser Valley. It's a bumper crop this year at the Apple Barn Pumpkin Patch at Taves Family Farms in Abbotsford. Smaller pumpkins, such as the Cinderella and Sugar Pumpkins, are apparently better for making pies. But the larger ones, which average around 50 pounds, are sought after for carving jack-o'-lanterns. Now you know. <laughs> it was a perfect day for it, Christy. Definitely feeling like fall. Mm-hmm. Definitely, yes. We picked up our pumpkins yesterday, yesterday from the Rondriso uh, farm out uh, in the Surrey area. Here's your Metro Vancouver forecast. So rain by the afternoon hours. It'll be a chilly start to the day. Some areas may see a little bit of frost. Uh, Wednesday, we do have a chance of showers, but we should see some sunshine by the afternoon. And uh, Thursday's not looking too bad either. But uh, certainly don't leave home without your rain jacket tomorrow. You'll need it on your way home. All right. Thanks for that. And thank you for joining us on this Thanksgiving Monday. Enjoy your turkeys, everyone. Good night. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving.